Jewish rabbis will intentionally not read Isaiah 53 to their congregations. Um, and so we, you know, we will tell our Jewish friends, by the way, what do you think of this? And we will read to them Isaiah 53. And when, you know, when we get to that part about, you know, by his stripes we are healed, you know, we'll ask them, what, what do you think this scripture is talking about? And they'll be like, well, obviously that's from your Christian Bible. And typically we'll respond and go, well, that's very interesting that you would say that that's from the Christian Bible. What, what do you think that this is talking about? Well, obviously this is talking about your Jesus. Very interesting, because this comes from your prophet Isaiah. What? Bryce Hamilton here, and welcome to the show where we talk about how your church can reach your community. Today we have here with us Josh, and Josh is going to share with us some very helpful as well as practical tips that we can adopt in order to better reach the Jews that might be living in our communities. So without any further ado, let's get into the show. Hey, Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. No, and we're glad to have you on, and we're glad to specifically talk about the ministry that you're involved with, and specifically that ministry is Life in Messiah. And uh, as we get started here, I just want to ask you a quick introductory question, and that would be, Josh, how did God work in your life up to this point so that you ended up working with Life in Messiah? So it was fall 2015. I'm in seminary. And I have, you know, the GPA I need to graduate if I really wanted to go for another year. Um, it was my first, no, second semester of seminary. And I remember just feeling a very strong sense of discontent because even though I was having a good experience at the seminary, um, it wasn't pushing me in the direction I wanted to go because in 2012, I took a trip to Israel with the Shalom Ministries Incorporated group. Um, they do a college group uh, that comprises of, uh, from what I understand, mostly Bob Jones University students, of which I was one. And that trip changed my life. And I really wanted to get into Jewish ministry. And I realized after a certain point that burden grew so big that I wasn't happy with where I was. And... I remember getting my feelers out, just trying to find out what the opportunities were, and I believe my mother uh, got me connected with Life in Messiah, and I started talking to one of my first contacts there, and he heard my story, and he challenged me to pray about moving to Chicago and being a partner, uh, like being an associate status with Life in Messiah, and right. take some Jewish study courses. And before you know it, that's exactly the door that got opened. And after that, it was full time. Hey, and that's really awesome. And it's it's interesting to see that God works. And sometimes he works even in our unknowing. We don't know where God's going to lead us. Uh, but he ends, us, he ends up putting us exactly where he wants us to be. And that's uh, good news for all of us. Right. Uh, would you mind just telling us a little bit of history about life in Messiah? I'd be happy to. So, Life in Messiah's story starts right at where the movie Fiddler on the Roof stops. If you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, the movie ends with, you know, all these Jewish people being kicked out of their village in Anatevka, Russia. And even though the story was fictional, it's an archetype of some very real things that happened within Jewish culture 
uh, during the late 1800s. And so in 1887, there's this guy named Blackstone, who's not to be confused with apparently a famous lawyer by the same name. Um, there's this guy named William Blackstone. He's not Jewish. He's a Christian and he lives in Chicago. And he sees this local need where there's all these Russian Jewish immigrants that need the gospel, but also need practical help. And so not only did he share the gospel with them, he also helped some of them get jobs. Uh, now, since then, wow. um, yeah, the, um, the scope of the organization has grown from being in, just in Chicago to being a worldwide outreach. Um, so not only are we in the Chicago area, we're also in New York. We're also in Israel. But we're also in some unexpected locations like Argentina and Hong Kong. Really, in a nutshell, Life of Messiah is about reaching Jewish people where they are at when the Lord opens an opportunity. Yeah, you can't really have a Jewish ministry and not be in Israel and also not be in, especially Brooklyn, New York, where uh, I think I think if I remember correctly, Brooklyn, New York has one of the highest Jewish populations in the world. Is that correct? That is correct. And it's ever-growing. Um, I believe they are, like, outside of Israel, the largest Jewish population in the world, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and that's that's almost unbelievable. I grew up in New Jersey, so that was kind of uh, just a couple hours away from me. But I never had a opportunity to spend a lot of time in Brooklyn. But that's just that's crazy to think about that just a couple hours away, uh, there's there's that huge amount uh, of Jewish people and that Jewish population. One one thing that did surprise me was Argentina. Is there a large Jewish population in Argentina? Um, not necessarily. A population in terms of people actually living there. It's a very popular tourist destination for Israelis. So a common tradition within um, Israeli culture is, you know, after you serve your tour of duty, because just about all Israeli young people are required uh, to put in time in the military, once their tour of duty is over, uh, it's a common tradition to go traveling abroad. And uh, two very popular destinations are India and Argentina. Wow, that is interesting. I did not know that. As we were talking a little bit beforehand, how difficult is it to witness to the Jewish population? Um, we know that, that some, uh, some ethnic groups are more difficult to witness to than others. And how receptive are the Jewish population in general? And if there are any difficulties there, what would those be? I would say I would rank the difficulty level of Jewish evangelism, whether that be in Israel or the United States, to be second only to countries that are openly hostile to the faith. Uh, mm-hmm. Because obviously, you know, it's highly improbable that when you do Jewish evangelism that you're going to actually suffer physical harm. Although that has actually happened, but that's an exception, not the norm. Right. Um, like the Jewish people in general are not interested for a variety of reasons to not hear, you know, they're not interested in hearing the gospel. Um, and reasons that they would give if you were to ask them why they're not interested in hearing about Jesus would include, you know, because of, uh, you know, the racism that's been shown by people who named the name of Jesus and, uh, yet we're showing racism to them. Uh, sometimes it's simply because they actually don't know their scriptures. Uh, some, something that might surprise you 
is that um, the average everyday Jewish person is actually going to know a lot more about their traditions than actually about the scriptures. Um, and the most interesting part about Jewish evangelism is that the scriptures actually tell us two very important things about Jewish evangelism. The scriptures actually tell us that it's going to be very difficult, and yet it's the only people group in which the scriptures actually guarantee that as a people group, they're going to get saved. Yeah. In Romans 11, 25, you know, through 26, it says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in all the, I'm sorry, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. That is a great passage of scripture for us, us to remember, is that really it's because of that hardening that we have the opportunity that we have. Um, and I say we, me being obviously not Jewish. <laughs> um, but you brought up a couple, a couple points there that I think would be uh, good for us to, to bring out a little bit. And that would be, since it is difficult, how can a Gentile believer best bridge the gap between Jewish and the non-Jewish experiences of life? Uh, for example, Gentile believers will often refer to the New Testament. Uh, but as I understand it, a lot of Jewish people have been told by their rabbis that they're actually to totally reject the New Testament, saying that the Gentile world follows the New Testament and that the New Testament is actually a Gentile document. Um, some rabbis might even say that, that the New Testament is even anti-Jewish. Um, would you say that that's true? And how can a Gentile believer help to bridge that gap? Um one of the most popular ways that a Gentile believer can bridge that gap is to share the gospel through the Old Testament. Uh, there's just so many prophecies about Jesus that are very obvious. In fact, Jewish rabbis will intentionally not read Isaiah 53 to their congregations. Really? Um, and so we, you know, we will tell our Jewish friends, by the way, what do you think of this? And we will read to them Isaiah 53 and when, you know, when we get to that part about, you know, by his stripes we are healed, you know, we'll ask them, what, what do you think this scripture is talking about? And they'll be like, well, obviously that's from your Christian Bible. And typically we'll respond, well, that's very interesting that you would say that that's from the Christian Bible. What, what do you think that this is talking about? Well, obviously this is talking about your Jesus. Very interesting, because this comes from your prophet Isaiah. What? And so that's been a really good way sometimes to spur a conversation or at least to give them something that they could go home and think about. In fact, the phrase that we use uh, at Life Messiah internally is we, we call it putting a pebble in someone's shoe. Because when you put a little rock in someone's shoe, it doesn't necessarily harm your foot, but it's, you know, a little uncomfortable. You can keep walking for a little bit with it, but at some point you have to confront the reality that that thing is in your shoe and you've got to do something about it. Yeah. And uh, so sometimes when we share about Isaiah 53 um, with our Jewish friends, one of the ways that we would say that to each other is, so I got to put a pebble in his shoe. And that's absolutely true, uh, that the Old Testament bears witness of Jesus, and even Jesus says that. Uh, Jesus refers to the problem that, that we're talking about. And when the Jews would say, well, we are followers, we're children of Abraham, 
well, if you were children of Abraham, you would believe what Abraham believed, which is that uh, God was sending Messiah and that Jesus was that Messiah. In addition to that, how can a Western Christian combat centuries of racism towards the Jews, especially racism in the West? Because mm. uh, we want to bridge, bridge those gaps. And one of those gaps we talked about was they're forbidden to read the New Testament. But another one would be a cultural one where there's a history of Western racism towards the Jews. And is there a way that you found to be especially helpful in helping Jews to see that that's not really the Christian view of life? I would have to say it's twofold. The first is to just tell them that for those for those parts of history where horrible things were done to Jewish people, obviously falsely in the name of Jesus, um, to just tell them that you're sorry. And that's going to you you have no idea how like completely off guard that's going to catch them because many times if you immediately say well, that's not what I believe or whatever. Yes, that's true. That's not what we believe. And yes, that's true. That, that's, that was not legitimately done in the name of Jesus. That was, you know, falsely done in the name of Jesus. But that's not how our Jewish friends are going to understand it. In their mindset, you know, the Christians were racist and, you know, killed Jewish people. And so just tell them, yes, that happened in history where people who named the name of Jesus killed your people. And that's terrible. And I'm sorry. And, uh, we even made a video um, called A Video Letter to Our Jewish Friends. And we actually showed that video to a Jewish friend uh, in the Chicago area. And he broke out in tears. Wow. And I think that was actually a huge trust-building moment with that Jewish friend. Um, another way that you can combat it is just to take a very bold and public stand against the modern forms of racism against Jewish people that flags even American society today. Uh, one very specific example is to just take a very public stance against the BDS movement. BDS stands for Boycott, Divest, Sanction. The idea is uh, based on a narrative-driven idea that somehow Israel is an apartheid state against the Palestinian people, and so therefore we should treat Israel the same way that people treated South Africa when it was an apartheid state. Oh, man. And so, you know, we need to, you know, we need to not buy Israeli products, which, by the way, is technically not possible if you are trying to use modern technology, because most of our modern technology today uh, was researched and developed through Israeli technology. So, like, modern laptops and also the iPhone, um, a lot of those components were Israeli developed. Um but anyways, with boycott, divest, sanction, the problem with, boy, with boycott, divest, sanction is that it very easily slides into racism very yeah. quickly. So, like, for example, June of last year uh, in Naperville, Illinois, which is about an hour from where I live, we have a Jewish deli, and it was vandalized with graffiti by a BDS supporter. The issue is that the deli owner wasn't Israeli. He lives in Naperville, Illinois. He was targeted for vandalism because he was Jewish. Oh, man. And, you know, that's actually great for us to know and to understand because we often think about racism towards Jewish people having ended 
at the end of World War II, but we can see that that's obviously not the case. Obviously, they still struggle uh, with the way they're treated in the Western world. Uh, and, and to take ownership of that and ask for forgiveness uh, would be a, you're right, would be a huge way, a huge first step in the healing process for us as individuals. Right. Uh, because in reality, um, we know that, that that people group is going to be maligned and they're going to have malicious acts done towards them. But us as the Christian community, we don't have to be a part of that and we don't have to take part in that evil, obviously anti what God wants us to do view of Jewish people and of, of their world. Right. At this point in the show, I want to thank you for tuning in and to point you to a resource that I think might be helpful for you. And that is the book To the Jew First. And this is a book by Mal Couch. And really what the book is about, it is about how the Jewish people are being drawn back to Israel during this time in history and how us as Gentiles should be relating to the Jewish people. And finally, and most importantly, uh, the book exists in order to encourage Gentiles and to teach Gentiles how to be a faithful witness to the Jews And we can be encouraged because God is not done with the Jews and God has promised to bring the Jews back to himself. And that itself is even prophesied in the Old Testament. So if that sounds interesting to you and would be of help to you, the book is to the Jew first, and we'll put the affiliate link to that in the show notes below. I know that recently you actually also went to Israel itself. Uh, Do you mind just sharing with us a little bit about, about that trip? I'd be glad to, yeah. Um, I went to Israel uh, late June through uh, mid-July. No, I'm sorry. I went to Israel for a whole month, and we did several things. In fact, we did many things there. Uh, One of the coolest things we got to do was some frontier outreach. So we went to communities in Israel. Where, as far as we're aware, in recent history, the gospel's never been sent. And uh, I would say it was easily three or four communities where that was the case. Uh, we also did a little bit of volunteer work where, like, for example, uh, there's a really cool initiative in Israel called the Beautiful Land Initiative, where in Israel right now, they are having trouble with having resources to take care of the trash in Israel. I think that's something we take for granted here in the United States. You know, somebody comes and picks up our trash and we're good to go. Uh, in Israel, a lot of people litter. And so uh, we got to, for example, pick up like over 500 pounds of trash near the Sea of Galilee. Wow. Um, and sure enough, that then that little that little stretch of ground where you could like look over the Sea of Galilee looks just so much better without all that trash laying out. I can um, only imagine. Good night. We got to visit. We got to visit several uh, villages where we had people that had already been in conversation with other believers and loved to have visitors and loved to have conversations with us. So um, that was actually a really cool experience to just be able to just walk into a village and there's like somebody waiting for us who wanted to actually show us a little bit of what the village was about and then a little bit about their personal life about what it's like to live in a small village in Israel. Uh, the villages in Israel used to be more communal 
than they are now. Um, like they would, it, it, it was almost like a homeowners association on steroids. They would actually put, no matter what job you had, they would actually put all their income into a single pool. And then the community leaders would actually decide where the money went. Huh? Yeah. Um, now as of late, most of the villages don't do that anymore, but it was a very interesting perspective to hear. So that sounds like, like it was a very, uh, profitable and insightful trip. Oh, very much so. Um, in fact, we got, we actually had something very exciting happen on the trip and that is, um, we got to share the gospel to a tourist who was in one of the hostels that we were staying at. We started a conversation, um, we ended up actually getting into apologetics because one of the tourists was like, I just don't see how faith and science can be reconciled. And so it was really fun to, you know, pull out the uh, little apologetics toolkit uh, for the first time in a little while and yeah, just walk through, well, why do you believe that science and faith can't work together? And um, God worked out a situation so that we didn't plan on this. By the time we moved to the next hostel, they had actually made plans to move to the same next hostel that we were going to on the same day. So we were able to see them at the next location and pick up on our conversation. And I followed up with that tourist actually a few weeks ago and asked him how he was doing. And he let me know that he's actually reading his Bible now and that wow. he's reading it with a very different perspective than he did when he was younger. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's definitely the providence of God at work there, because there's no way that exactly. Yeah, you be praying for him because I'm really hoping and praying that he'll come to faith very soon. Yeah, we'll be praying for him because um, that's an awesome opportunity, and to still have his contact information is incredible. Mm-hmm. Kind of as we wrap up here, you know, referring to life and Messiah. Uh, for anybody listening that, that might be a little bit interested and intrigued by anything you've said, um, is there any way that, that people out there can serve life in Messiah? Um, we have plenty of needs. Uh, obviously, one of the most obvious ones would be prayer. We, of course, crave the prayers of everybody because uh, if nobody's praying for us and if we're not praying, then, you know, how, how do we expect for God to work if, you know, how are we going to receive if we're not even asking? in terms of, you know, trying to accomplish uh, the work of the Lord. Um, another way can be through financial support. Um, you go to insearchofshalom.com slash donate. And whether it be a small first-time gift or a uh, monthly commitment, uh, we're hoping to raise uh, somewhere around three to $6,000 per month in the near future, just so that way we can grow and actually go more international with this project. Um, another way that they can get involved is by being a local In Search of Shalom partner. Um, our ultimate goal is to reach our Jewish friends, but to connect them with local believers. So if you want to be one of those local believers, that's a connection point. When, you know, Jewish friends step forward and say, I'd like to talk to somebody, we'd love to speak with you. Um, you can Go to the InSearchOfShalom.com website, uh, initiate a chat, and say that you want to be a local InSearchOfShalom partner. Um, another way that you could support is if you live in the Chicago area or in the uh, even if it's in on the Indiana side, um, there's 
been plenty of volunteer opportunities in the Chicago area. There's been plenty of volunteer opportunities in um, the Brooklyn area. There's even some, there's occasionally some volunteer opportunities in the Argentina area. So if you want to visit Patagonia and actually reach Jewish people as a volunteer, We'd love to talk to you. Awesome. And all those sound like incredible opportunities. Also, as we as we wrap up here, I just always like to finish off with kind of a blank check. Um, is there any way that you would like to encourage people in reaching Jews or any advice that you would give in reaching Jews? Just kind of a blank check. Anything that you would like to mention in regards to that ministry at the end here? I would say a great way that you can reach out to your Jewish friends in your communities would be... Um, First of all, just to build friendships. So, for example, look up Jewish meetups like um, Shabbat dinners or hangouts that are happening. They're Jewish related on Facebook or on meetup.com. Or even, you know, look up local synagogues in your neighborhood and call them up. You know, call first to make sure it's okay. I find more often than not, you know, if you let them know that you're a Christian, but that you are there, you know, to listen and to learn. Right. That they would be thrilled to have you over. Uh, when I was in South Carolina, there was a Jewish meetup that was happening at a bagel shop and Christians were more than welcome to come over. And so actually quite a few did. And we actually were able to learn quite a bit about Jewish culture, about Jewish history and about the Jewish mindset, just through sitting down and just listening to the rabbi just wax eloquent on what he thought and what he felt as he would go through the Torah or as he would also go through just current events. Yeah. Awesome. And those are, those are great ways for people to get involved. Exactly. Well, Josh, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. You gave us some, some good insights that I actually myself didn't know about the Jewish population. So thank you very much for your time. Hey, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure to be here. And I hope you found that conversation to be as helpful as I did in learning how to approach Jewish culture and to share the gospel with Jews that are living in our communities. I know that we talked about several resources, and I want to make those available to you. And I'm going to put the links to those in the show notes below. So go ahead and check those out, and they can help you to better learn what we discussed today. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time, get out there and reach your community.